Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand as our campuses join with us over at Appleton and Stevens Point this morning. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. And again, good morning to our campus in Appleton and in Stevens Point. Hope to have wonderful services over there this morning at those locations. Uh, as you know, uh, we do a lot of outreaches here at Celebration Church. Uh, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. And uh, we don't just encourage giving here so that we can just benefit from it, but also to give to other uh, ministries, opportunities to help people in ways that don't benefit us. It's truly giving because you can't get anything back in return. Through our legacy giving, we've raised lots of money that we've turned around and given to others and to bless them. One of those projects is uh, uh, along with uh, Pastor Gary over in South Africa, which will be here in a few weeks, right? Yeah, it's going to be good to see him big old South African boy, and uh, minister to us. But uh, we're helping to build a, uh, put in a, a well for fresh water in a place of great poverty and uh, all made possible by your generosity. We have a wonderful little video clip we want to show you right now. Celebration Church. I'm here in South Africa at Grace Point. Uh, we've partnered with this church in a lot of ways. Our Transition One students come here uh, for the past couple of years. It's been incredible. And just now we are announcing that we are building a water well. We're doing this in a very poor community called Itsosing. And uh, this community is uh, had not had clean water in over two and a half years. And it causes all kinds of poverty. It causes all kinds of disease. And we're working with them to give them clean water to increase their health and this is all part of sharing the love of Jesus so we're announcing a trip we're actually going to be part of doing the construction that's going to take place in January of 2019 if you'd like to participate with that trip make sure you contact us after the service or email us at missions at celebrationchurch.tv yeah 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 <clears throat> If you've never been on a missions trip, you'd really enjoy this one. It's, uh, it's quite the <laughs> flight over there. The people are wonderful. The nice thing about going to South Africa is everybody speaks English. <laughs> they don't have any language problems. Actually, they speak several languages there. Many people, many people, you know people that speak like seven languages. Man, I can barely keep English straight. And uh, it's stunning when they speak English and it's a great opportunity. It's a beautiful country. And if you've never done anything like that and you're able to, you ought to plan uh, to join with us. Talk to your campus pastor about the trip, all right? We are continuing our series on the significant events of the Old Testament. Why have we been doing this? A lot of people have come uh, here at Celebration Church, have come later in life, new to faith. 
uh, kind of ignored God for many years in their lives and they come back and there's parts of the Bible they've never really explored or looked at and a lot of it is the Old Testament. What are some of these Old Testament events? So we've been going through those and uh, I've really enjoyed doing it and I hope you've been enjoying hearing about it. <clears throat> we've been talking about Moses. Starts out Moses gets himself in all kinds of trouble. Finally God tells him to go back Tell Pharaoh to let his people go. He comes back with incredible miracles. And finally, Pharaoh can't take it anymore. Take him. Get out of here. So take these, this nation of slaves, a million to two million people, came out of Egypt, went into the wilderness on their way to the promised land, which is a very fairly short trip. But they were so stubborn and so hard-hearted. And even though God did incredible miracles, everybody say, wow, why doesn't God just do miracles all over? Because apparently it doesn't mean jack to a lot of people. These guys saw all kinds of miracles, and they still wouldn't believe. I mean, Moses disappears for 40 days. By the time he comes back, they're dancing around a cow, an image of a cow, hoo, blah, 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 hoo, worshiping the cow. I mean, these people were a mess and kept dealing. And finally, God had it up to here with them and said, all right, none of y'all are going into the promised land. Your children are going, but you're not going in. So for 40 years, they wandered just around and around out in the middle of the desert. And we've talked about some of the accounts and stories so now we're coming to the end, and uh, certainly let me encourage you to read your Bible yourself, and you can read some of these events. They're really fascinating. So we get to the event, and then uh, Moses is uh, getting ready to die. Actually, we're going to pick it up in the book of Joshua. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, well, what happened to Moses? Well, Moses now, uh, there was one singular event where they were stuck out in the desert. There was no water. Everybody's panicking. God tells Moses, go speak to those rocks and water will come out. Well, Moses is so frustrated with these people and their unbelief. He goes around and he hits the rocks and water came out. But God was really upset with him because it was disobedience. He told him just to go speak. He said, well, why does God beat us up for little things like that? No, but if Almighty God shows up in your living room and tells you to do something specifically, you better follow directions, all right? So it's a whole different standard. Everybody says, well, why was they so strict? God himself is talking to these people. And if God, I mean, we live by faith, right? We don't see Jack. We're all just kind of trying to figure this thing out, you know? So the rules aren't quite as severe. But when Almighty God himself tells you something and you don't do it, yeah, there was some butt kicking going on. So God was mad at Moses and said, just for that. And here's a guy who's been speaking face to face with God. Just for that, you're not going into the promised land. So after all this, Moses doesn't go in. And then finally, he goes up in the mountain, and uh, everybody's wondering, where's Moses? And then God comes to the next guy in charge, which is now Joshua, and he says, hey, uh, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, he's now telling Joshua, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. These are promises given back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hundreds of years ago. Finally. Finally, it's becoming a reality. It should have happened with their parents, but they were unbelievably large pains in the rear. God wouldn't let them in. They eventually all died out there. So now their kids are going in. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land 
the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Now, you'll notice the rules kind of change now. Up to this point, God had done everything for them. They didn't have to do jack. I mean, one miracle after another, they didn't have to work. Nice gig. <laughs> Every day, there would be manna on the ground. When they got hungry for meat, birds would fly so low, they could reach out and grab them. I mean, it was amazing. They had it made. What did it do for them? Nothing. So now the rules have changed. Now they have to go and take the land. Do you see the difference? Up to this point, God did everything. They didn't have to do anything to get out of Egypt. All the miracles, God did everything. But when God does everything, it's kind of like having a kid where you just buy him everything and give him everything. It's not good for them. Your kids would disagree. <laughs> give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But it's not good for them. So now the situation changes. And actually, some of these analogies to our faith walk is really stunning. Because you'll often find that when you're first coming to faith, that it tends to come very easily. And God shows up in really cool ways that you'd never experienced before. And prayers come really. But then it starts to get harder. Anybody ever experienced that? Anyway, why is that? Why is it getting hard? Because now the rules change. All right, now you need to grow. You need to mature. He says, I will give it to you. I will be with you, but you got to go take it. Now they've got to gird up. They've got to go in and fight battles themselves. So now it's a different day. All right? So they're getting ready for this. Three days out. So now the first big city they come to is a, a city called Jericho. It's a big walled city. Big yo mama walls. These were important things back in those days because if you had big enough walls, enemies couldn't get to you. They, you know, people would live in and out, but when the enemies came, they'd all huddle in, sh shut these gigantic gates. You've seen these in these movies. You know, guys trying to break down these gates. It's a big safety thing for them. Well, Joshua is, or uh, uh, Jericho is one of these big cities. It's the first city they have to face. So Joshua's getting ready to go in. God's getting ready to send them. So he decides, let's check it out. Let's find out what's waiting for us when we get there. Good strategic move. Joshua was an incredible warrior, a great tactician. God was with him. Uh, and as God said, no one will be able to withstand against you. And in fact, that's what happens, except in the one particular rare case, which we'll talk about next week. Anyway, so here we go. So Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. He tells them, go, guys, go in there. Check it out, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, the way these guys write in the Old Testament is really bizarre. They make statements, and they got to keep reading the story to find out how you got there in the first place. It's like one of these movies where they show you the end, and then 24 hours earlier, you know what I'm saying? They, they back it up so you can see how they got there. They write this way a lot in the Old Testament and leave out a lot of details. You got to kind of put things together. People sometimes say, oh, the Bible is a bunch of stories. If it's stories, they're the worst storytellers ever because they leave huge gaps and you kind of figure things out. They don't care. They're not trying to tell stories. They're giving you facts. This is what was recorded. This is what happened. So what happens? These two guys go in and they're trying to spy out and see what it's like there and what they're up against and what the attitude of the people was. Because, you know, if they're very confident, they're harder to beat as a... It's kind of like a football game, you know. That's why home field advantage is always a big deal. The more confident you are, the, the more you prevail. It's always been true whenever there's any kind of physical uh, confrontations. 
So they go check it out. Well, they get in there and their cover is blown. Say, so how do you know that? You find it out as you keep reading. So their cover is blown. They're freaking out. Ah! They got to get out of there. Well, where are you going to go? You can't just walk into somebody's house. Well, if there's one place where men are always welcome, it's the house of a prostitute. All right, now don't worry. It'll be a safe message. Okay. We don't want anyone to absquatulate out of the room. The day, the word of the day, absquatulate, children. It means to get up in a hurry and get out. Sometimes you'll, you'll read that in an old Western, you know. Them varmints absquatulated with all the money. All right? And you got to get your dictionary to find out what they're talking about. But do you know, back in the, 100 years ago, the average American's uh, vocabulary was like 50,000 words. Today it's like 5,000. Yeah. We ain't nearly as smart as we used to be. Anyway, because our brains have absquatulated. So anyway, <laughs> the king of Jericho was told, hey, we found these varmints. They're in here, and they are checking out our land, and we got to go get them. So it's not like they could text them, you know what I'm saying? So they got to go run and tell the king, and they saw where these guys went in. They went into this house of the prostitute. Well, they go in the house of the prostitute. They're not there for business. They're in for like, ah, where are we going to go? So they start telling the prostitute who they are and asking for her help. So when the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. They knew, they saw where they went. Okay, this is earlier in the day. Now it's in the evening. And um, they, by the time the king finds out about it, he gets the message back. And he says to Rahab, this prostitute, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So they basically have the place surrounded. Bring them out. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them there. And then she comes up with this long story <laughs> that wasn't true. Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. And at dusk, see, this is now into the evening, when the sun starts to set, and when it's time to close the city gates, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up to them. I think they absquatulated that away. Okay? So... But she had taken them up to the roof, this is the truth, and hidden them under the stalks of flax which she had laid out on the floor. So the men of the city, they bought the story, and so they set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Well, the guys are still hiding. She hides these guys. So before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, Look, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt. What you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. They completely kicked their butts. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven is in the God of in heaven above and on earth below. Now, please. Now, first of all, this is good news. The spies want to hear this. This is what they want to hear. What's the attitude of the people? They're finding out now that they're all scared to death of the Israelites. Okay? So the home field advantage is no more. Now, all the courage is with the Israelites. Now, Rahab, this prostitute, says, now, now listen. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sign, a sure sign, 
that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, and my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And the men said, okay, our lives for your lives. But if you, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. Why? Because the uh, gates were shut. Her place was actually in the wall. These huge, massive walls actually would make houses in these walls. They were so thick. So she lets them down through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She, sa she said to them, now go to the hills so the pursuers won't find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, now this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord. So they give, them the, they give her this cord, scarlet cord, whatever. And you have to hang it in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in this house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from this oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said. Let it be as you say. So she went, so she sent them away and they departed and she tied that scarlet cord in the window. That's what, so when they get back, they tell everybody about this deal and who this lady was and how she had saved them because their cover was blown and they were freaking out and they're running and trying to find a place to hide. Let's go, here's a place, everybody go in here. They go in there, this lady basically saves their bacon. All right, and the deal is, when we come, when you see that, don't anybody touch anybody in that house. Because when they come, they wipe out the city. I mean, it's a massive, big battle that they have. All right, so, when they left, they went into the hill country, stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land to our hands. The people are melting in fear because of us. All right, so now the stage is set. They have their confidence. They're going to go in, and they're going to go take. Remember, at this point, they had to do much of anything. Now they got to pick up, and they got to fight for what God has promised them. So many cool analogies here about your own faith. Again, sometimes you got to fight. Fight for your faith. Okay, so... We're not talking about punching people in the face. Okay. Let's be clear here. All right. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, you know, from Indiana Jones, went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So this is the worst time of the year. They got to cross the Jordan. It's at flood stage. Everybody in uh, Jericho is probably thinking, well, we're safe. Now they can't even cross the river. So we have plenty of time to come up with a plan. Well, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zeraneth, whatever. While the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jordan. As soon as they touched the water, the water stopped flowing, dried up, and they just walked across, Okay. Pretty cool. God was doing something for them. <clears throat> the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and just stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. All right, now, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests 
carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. And the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding, just making a bunch of noise. So on the second day, they marched around the city one time, and they returned to camp. And they did this for six days. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you know, sometimes God has you do things that doesn't seem to make sense. You know what I'm saying? It kind of messes with your head. And the guys in the city think, here comes this gigantic army. Where do they go? What are they doing? They're marching around the city. Now what are they doing? Now they're going home. <laughs> well, that was odd. Next day, here they come again. What are they doing? They're marching around the city. And they're going home. Five o'clock, time to check out. Now go back. So they do this day after day after day after day after day after day. The people in the city, these people are crazy. They're not building battery rams. They're not doing anything. They're just marching around the city. And you've got to assume that the guys doing the marching probably thought this was really stupid. <laughs> what are we doing? Just do what God tells you to do. Okay, so... On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> so they get up and march around. On oh, this time, they march around it seven times. Of course, the people in the city got to think they're nuts. The guys marching around think this is ridiculous. One. And we're not talking a house. This is a city, a big city. There's a big Yo Mama march. And they're doing this now seven times going around this deal. Okay, now the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua, commander of the company, shout! So everybody just goes, Rah! you know, like in Braveheart, okay? So for, I only got a few movie references. For the Lord has given you the city, so the city and all that's in it is to be devoted to the Lord. And then Joshua reminds him, remember that prostitute, okay? And all who are with her. So she's got, all this is going on, she gets all her family her brothers, her sisters, all their kids, everybody is shoved into this house. You know, it's like a bunch of Puerto Ricans in Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's living. I know I'm Puerto Rican. Okay, so everybody's jammed in there. Everybody's living with everybody. I mean, it's just crazy, which is a very Latino thing. Uh, that's why it's so hard for us to fill out those employment forms. Uh, nearest relative not living with you. They all live with me. How can I fill this out? So anyway, Saul jammed in there and says, now when he gets there, don't touch them because she saved these spies. Okay, verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on your own head. What are the devoted things? All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron that you get into this place. Usually they go in and they would take the plunder. Everybody would take in take all the stuff, you know. But God says, when you come into the city, you don't touch any of that stuff. All of it goes into the treasury. All right, so he warns them. And he says, don't mess with God because you've seen what happens when God talks to us and we don't do it. We're going to be in big trouble. Obviously, one guy screws it up. We'll read about that next week. Stay tuned. All right. So anyway, uh, when the trumpet sounded and the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. It just collapsed. Now, you know, whether or not all of the walls collapse is not really the point. Wherever they were standing, it all of a sudden just collapses. And they go rushing in. So 
you can imagine people inside are freaking out. They're safe. Their safety is the wall. Seven times they march, all of a sudden they all start yelling and screaming and boom, right in front of them, that wall collapses and they come rushing over that wall and pouring into the city. And they took the city. Joshua said to the uh, two men who had spied out the land, quick, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, everybody, and all who belonged to them, cousins, uncles, aunts. I mean, everybody could squeeze into this joint. And they bring him out. Uh, so, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and with, with her family, all who belonged to her, because she had hid the men Josh, Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Not to this day, but when they wrote that, she was still there. Okay, so this recording is basically done at the time of the event. It wasn't something that happened and they write about hundreds of years ago. They, this was contemporary history at the time. And they're telling the story and saying, this lady, she's still, you know, she lives over on 82nd Street or whatever. I mean, she's still right there. So, anyway, so here's this fascinating story of this lady who um, put her faith in God Someone you wouldn't expect to be exactly a leader of faith. She sold herself to men. That's how she made her living. Uh, done all kinds of things she never should have done. But she did, whether out of desperation or who knows why she was doing what she was doing. But not the kind of person you would think would be the ideal candidate for God to use in a wonderful way. But she had faith. You see, faith is a powerful thing when you come to God. Say, Pastor, well, I made a lot of mistakes. I know that's a beautiful thing of faith and of grace because we can always find forgiveness with God. He's very quick to forgive. We find this over and over again. Remember how many times God was ready to wipe out everybody and Moses would say, please don't. And he go, okay. <laughs> There's something about God. He loves to forgive. He just does. Even though you might do something that deserves you to be smacked upside the head. When you come to God and say, I'm sorry, he will go, Okay. What a great God we have, huh? Especially for those of us who have screwed up on more than one occasion. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Except for the few who didn't say amen and were jealous because obviously you're perfect. So, uh, so now, here's a really interesting, so what happens to this lady? You know, sometimes it's easy to think, you know, yeah, I gave my life to God. I've come to faith. But, you know, I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many stupid things. There's no way God could use me. There's just no way. I can't possibly play an important role. Has he forgiven me? Yes. Have I been saved through this battle? Yes. Me and my whole family, but I am a wreck. I'm a mess. God can't do anything special with me. You ever feel like that sometimes? All right, so... We don't know what happens to her. We don't find out until we read Matthew's gospel. Because in Matthew's gospel, at the very beginning of the Christmas story, he gives us the genealogy. And they were very strict in finding out who belonged to who, who fathered who, who and they, can, they could list all the way back to Adam, the men in this genealogy. It's really fascinating. Over thousands of years. All right? So anyway, in the middle of this genealogy that we're reading. In Matthew, the first chapter, the fifth verse, he's talking about this person, gave birth to this person. Da, da. So then it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, 
whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose name mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of, the, of King David. And as it goes on, it goes from David all the way up to Jesus. She, this woman, who probably thinks, I mean, she comes to faith in God. She's a wreck. Her life is a disaster. A gazillion bad decisions. Thinking probably that she's not worth anything. And this uh, very highly respected man, Salmon, comes to her and woos her heart and says, will you marry me? Now, can you imagine how overwhelmed she would be? What? You want me? Why would you pick me? I'm a mess. I've been with thousands of men. But they highly esteemed this woman because they understood the concept of grace and redemption and forgiveness. And Salmon marries Rahab, gives birth to this guy named Boaz. And you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz get together and have their children. Eventually comes King David and eventually comes the Messiah. She literally becomes part of the line of the Messiah. Incredible story. Now, and as you read this thing in Matthew, all of these men named men, 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 and just three or four women are named by name, and Rahab is one of them. What an incredible story, huh? Talk about God can use you no matter what your past, no, what, no matter what your mistakes, no matter what your failures. You know, when he looks at you, when he forgives you, he looks at you, he looks at a clean slate. I know sometimes you think God looks at me, but he remembers all the nasty stuff I did. No, the Bible says he intentionally forgets. It says, as far as the east is from the west, kind of a neat analogy, because there's a north pole and there's a south pole, but there's not an east or west pole. It goes on forever. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our mistakes from us. That's what can happen if you'll simply put your trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Thank you for this account of this woman who in faith reached out to you, a very unlikely candidate. But then, God, you use her to bring into the earth Jesus, the Messiah, who on that cross died for the sins of the world. If we would simply put our faith and trust in him, you would take away our sins in a room as far as the east is from the west, and you can use and bless any who will simply put their trust in you. For this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a great day.